Greetings, everyone. I'm Warren. I'm Alex. And I'm Joy. Welcome to our podcast. So we have read The Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman and also The Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. Both of these texts are modern texts, and that means pretty much like the center has no hold um, art for art's sake. If you find yourself like reading one of these types of novels from this era or just works in general, you'll be like, what did I just read? Like that wasn't happy. Did that even have an ending? <laughs> Is life and death actually real? Like, why am I here? What's the point? Hence why we're called Grimco. So <laughs> very, very sad, sad and depressing topics. Um, but they're really Hooray! good. They're really good books. They're really good texts. We find beauty and suffering. Which but is why I'm constantly picking at my fingers, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Getting hangnails and stuff. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. The hangnail thing. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Same, 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 same. Those memes when you have like the, like your biggest fears, like pulling the hangnail all the way up your finger and you're like, Bleh! Yeah, <laughs> I hate them. That happened in a movie I saw, and I was like, "This is my worst nightmare." <laughs> like this has like it set in. This is my actual worst nightmare. No, no, it's no, no, no. no. You know? It's one of those things that you can feel by looking at. Charlotte Perkins Gilman was born July third, eighteen sixty, and she lived until August seventeenth, nineteen thirty-five. This book, or she was referenced as a utopian feminist and role model for future generations. Her most popular short story was the semi-autobiographical short story, The Yellow Wallpaper, I Can Talk, which she wrote after she personally experienced postpartum depression. I mean, same. Married in 1884, she gave birth to her first and only child in 1885. That was fast. Um, women who suffered from postpartum depression in this time were more often than not dismissed as hysterical or nervous, and so therefore their symptoms were often never treated. She separated from her husband in 1888, was officially divorced by 1894, which was crazy and heard of for the time. She married again. Um, because of my supposed ADHD, I did not get the date for that, but who cares? <laughs> it's fair. It's <laughs> fair. No worries. Husbands. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, uh, started a very close relationship with another woman named Adeline Knapp. Knapp? I think it's like Knapp. Gilman that... Adeline, who was also known as Dell, that she had found a way to combine loving and living, and that with a woman as a life mate, she might more easily uphold that combination than she would in a conventional heterosexual marriage. Respect. So I, I think, 
I think Charlotte was a little bi. I'm not going to lie. And I have major like respect for that. That's, I think, very, she just seemed really progressive for the time. And I really like her. Based on the writing. Yeah. And again, like you said, respect. (laughs) The relationship with Adeline did come to an end, however. And um, at that point, Charlotte moved to Pasadena, California, where she pursued pursued participation in different feminist and reformist organizations i did not list them but that is referenced in the wikipedia article you can look it up cool um (laughs) your own homework (laughs) about her experience gilman had this to say for many years i suffered from a severe and continuous nervous breakdowns tending to melancholia and beyond Around the third year of these symptoms, she visited a specialist in nervous diseases. This guy was supposed to be the best in the country, supposedly. Um, She says, this wise man put me to bed and applied the rest cure. And I feel complete and utter sarcasm from this woman when she says this wise man, because she's (laughs) at this dude and she would not believe him to be a wise man. (laughs) You can feel the contempt in it. (laughs) Like, can you guys add quotes around wise? Why? Uh, No reason. He then stated that there really wasn't anything wrong with her, and so he sent her home with instructions to live, quote-unquote, a live as domestic a, a life as possible, and not to have any more than two hours of intellectual uh, life a day, and don't touch a pen or brush or pencil again. This was in 1887. She did this for three months, and came. S- and in her own words, she came so near to the borderline of utter mental ruin that she could see over which I love. This one was so extra and dramatic and I love it. Uh, she then completely disregarded everything this fool had told her and went to live and work the life of every human being in her own words, ultimately recovering some measure of power. Yes. Yes, queen. Yes. <laughs> yes. However, in 1932, Gilman was diagnosed with an in- with incurable breast cancer. Um, and as an advocate of euthanasia for the terminally ill, Gilman did die by suicide in 1935. So, R.I.P. Mm-hmm. Thank you for writing such a good book. We appreciate it. And if you yeah. ever want to visit us in the afterlife. You I can mean, visit I'll Joy. Welcome. Don't come visit me. <laughs> <laughs> Like on friends when she's talking about like death. I, I would want you guys to haunt me. I I would want you guys to come and visit. That's pretty cool. Anyways, <laughs> so the work that we are talking about today by Charlotte is the yellow wallpaper, which the synopsis of this is it details the deterioration of a woman's mental health while she is on a rest cure. On a rented summer country estate with her family. Uh, her family includes John Fuckface, the husband, <laughs> John's sister, and, sh- and uh, uh, the wife, who is unnamed in the book. The main character is unnamed in the book, and John, their baby or child, is also with them in this summer home. But the woman's obsession with the yellow wallpaper in her bedroom marks her descent into psychosis from depression throughout the story. So this is what we were talking about. Oh, Warren, you're a millennial, really? Yeah. Are we in the same group? I think so. Millennials, yay! High five. Right. So are we going to talk about the yellow wallpaper and John, who we hate? And yeah, yeah. let's roast him. 
Let's, yeah. let's be real. <laughs> let's dunk on this man. <laughs> well, we're not gonna we're not gonna put him down. We're just gonna say that he's not the most helpful. I no. think he's one of those um husbands that has what is it, weaponized incompetence? Let's just put him in that car- category. He's a mansplainer. Ooh. Yes, he is a total yeah. splainer, head patter. You look pretty if you smiled. We're gonna put him in that category because I don't believe uh, truly I don't believe that he hates his wife I just think that he doesn't understand what's happening with her in the slightest but he is fully confident that he does (laughs) yeah because go ahead oh sorry yeah at the beginning of the book she even mentions that he's a he's a very practical man doesn't believe in superstition or anything else and only the things that can be seen and not felt, I believe is what she had worded it as. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I think I wrote down a husband is horribly practical. <laughs> <laughs> horribly. <laughs> it just sounds so boring. I just imagine this man being like Truman from the Truman show or like someone out of Pleasantville. That's what I imagine John is being. Like, if he could have been born in the 1950s, he would have been right at home, too. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Very accurate, too. But he sucks. He's, like, also telling her all the time that, like, she needs to rest and that, like, she can't do a lot. And, like, he clearly doesn't see her as, as an equal. And it's just, yeah, he treats her like a child. It's unfortunate. Yeah, and she even she even gets like told by him that you know she's not she's not actually feeling these things and that it's not it's not happening to her which i think is so endemic of the time but then also even now you know everything is disregarded when a woman when women of that time and even now when you go to a doctor and you tell them this is how I'm feeling, they just kind of kind of brush it off and just go, Well, just don't feel that way. And it's like that <laughs> you don't understand. That's not how that works. Yeah. You're <laughs> yeah. like, Yeah, thanks. I would I would love to. Yeah. It's like, hold on, <laughs> let me turn that switch off. Oh, all better. I don't know why I didn't think yeah. about myself. Here's, <laughs> here's a hundred dollars. Thank you, good sir. Jesus. Oh, yeah. And I think I wrote that down as like one of the quotes. She says, John does not know how much I really suffer. He knows there is no reason to suffer. And that satisfies him. So from his perspective, and his experience as a man, he doesn't see the reason to suffer. After going through the process of having your body basically go through this enormous change of giving birth. And the process that you have to go through after that mentally to adjust to this new life. He just sees it as she should be fine. You know, she has me, she has help, everything should be normal. But I think the problem is, is people don't understand unless you've been through it. And unless you've had a baby, I don't think people really truly understand that the scope of the change of what happens in your brain after you push something out of your hoo-ha that's life that's life changing. I mean, maybe men who have forced out like a gallbladder stone or something or like a kidney stone through their pee pee, maybe they understand because I think they've maybe seen God or something like that. But otherwise <laughs> I don't think 
<laughs> I couldn't tell you. I haven't had either, so. <laughs> Same. And they sound very unpleasant. They are. <laughs> not um, not I... children, gallstones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, but I think, um, I think that, uh, what is it, childbirth has been compared to like kidney stones as being like one is possibly one more painful than the other and I've heard women say that even like in comparison to childbirth kidney stones were more painful than actual childbirth and so I'm really afraid drink your water people drink lots yeah, of water stay hydrated I mean if you think about it the urethra <laughs> was not supposed to stretch give birth to children whereas the vagina was supposed to do that so probably maybe there could be a chance that kidney stones hurt a little bit more but i also don't want people the right to say that you know like i don't want them to negate the pain of childbirth because it's like otherworldly you know yeah Like, there's a human soul ripping through your actual physical being. (laughs) It takes a lot out of you. Like, I don't even have to, like, be there to understand that it's just such... It's, like, the weirdest thing that we do as, like, human. Giving birth to people is insane, if you think about it. It is. is. Because it starts from, like, just a few cells, and then it's just, boom! Here's a whole person nine months later like an alien kind of like it just reminds <laughs> me of like the alien versus predator type of weird dude i completely because during my pregnancies you know i would always have people asking well what does it feel like i heard it's so magical and it's so wonderful and like you know how does it feel do you feel all of these things and i'm like i feel like there's an alien twisting around in my stomach and it's going to pop out of me like the alien, you know, in the movie Alien. That's what it literally feels like. When you start to feel a baby move inside you, you're like, this is highly unsettling. And if you want to call something slithering around in your lower extremities, you know, uh, magical, then I guess it's magical. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just my opinion. Um, I was exhausted and swollen and wanted to eat things that I would never in my life normally eat. It literally changed the way I eat food. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, there are parts of it that are magical and there are parts of it that are not. So I, I can't blame somebody who goes through something like that and then kind of has a little bit of a breakdown afterwards because it's it's tough. It's it's tough and it's it's anxiety ridden, especially I think the first time I I when I had my my oldest, just the anxiety and the fear of what would happen during the birth was really upsetting to the point where we would leave like our birthing classes and I would tell my husband I was like I don't know what I want to do because you have people telling you you should do it this way or you should do it that way. And I'm like, I just don't want to rip from my front to my asshole. And I don't want to have like a prolapsed uterus or something like that. I don't want to make a wrong decision and do something wrong and be through 
like go through all of this pain and then have a baby and then have to deal with the medical repercussions of that and be trying to take care of a baby that I have no idea really how to take care of because I was 23 years old. Um, but yeah, so I can totally relate to why you were <laughs> a little bit, you know, psychologically uh, damaged after that because it's, it's, it's upsetting. <laughs> yeah, not to mention there's also a lot of hormonal changes and like there's even like chemical changes in the brain and all kinds. There's all kinds of things that happen too. Yes. But I don't think a lot of people talk about that even now. And they definitely weren't talking about it when this happened. It was just, you should be able to pop out 15 children and just do it, you know, also while you know maintaining an entire household and doing the laundry and you know if you die in the process is okay your husband will just marry a 15 year old and he'll move on yeah no that's that's (laughs) pretty on point (laughs) exactly and especially back then like probably when charlotte or sorry perkins i don't know if i should refer to her first or last name when she i'm sure that was like she was probably so much younger than this guy like do we even know the age i don't think so I don't think it's referenced in the book. But, like, back then, like, you did not marry if you were old. Like, it just didn't happen. No, because you were considered a spinster. You were untouchable. Nobody wanted you. Yeah. And he's a successful doctor in his field and highly respected, quote, unquote. And so is her brother, apparently. Yes. (laughs) Or someone said when we talked about this, like, uh, the first time we tried or... I don't remember when, but yeah, this is our second attempt at this. Yeah, because <laughs> we like to talk about not the books, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> tangent, tangent. <laughs> We're not trying to over edit anything. It's just the reality that we needed more content. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, didn't one of you say that you think that John might might be cheating on her? Oh yeah, no, I said that because mm-hmm. she kept referencing the fact that he would leave the house for days on end, which if they were staying in the country, I mean that kind of makes sense. But at the same time, if your wife is unwell, you would think that you would be present a lot more and maybe not taking as many patients like far away. It just kind of seems like he's, like, disconnected from the whole thing. And maybe it references back to, like, he knows that there shouldn't be anything wrong with me. And so that satisfies him. Mm-hmm. Like he, he assumes that she's going to be fine. So he's like, I, you know, it's fine if I continue to work and do things like normal. Um, or in, in, in my frame of reference, what I saw was this guy is going into town. He's maybe treating one or two patients, probably fucking one or two patients, and then going out with the boys, you know, to some lounge or something and smoking, 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 <laughs> smoking, smoking, <laughs> smoking, devil's life. Because yeah. <laughs> even so she says, she's like, you know, yeah. he goes he goes to town when my when his cases are serious, and I'm so glad that my case is not serious. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm so glad I'm not like a huge burden on him. Like, oh my gosh, lady. Love yeah. yourself. I'm so sorry you had to live during Charlotte, come back. 
can you come yeah. back to this reality you would love you would love to live in this generation maybe you know maybe like after the pandemic but seriously if your soul is listening come back <laughs> you will be a little probably just have a little pride for how far we've come so far. like we're still getting there we are but... we're definitely still getting there yeah <laughs> we're even trying to like backtrack a little in some places <laughs> so <laughs> oh my gosh she'd be like you guys have a ton of work to do you guys don't know what you're talking about yeah, there, yeah. Well, there is I, definitely a ton of work to do. I also want to point out that, like, I mean, the first page of this text is John laughs at me, of course, but one w- will expect that in a marriage. And then he does not believe that I am sick. And also the use of the word hysterical. So H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A is hysteria so anything with that type of um word in there is i'm gonna pull it up on google warren your mind is about to be blown i let's listen so originally it was an old-fashioned term so this is according to google word for word i'm not plagiarizing an old-fashioned term for a disorder characterized by neurological symptoms often accompanied by exaggeratedly or inappropriately emotional behavior originally attributed to disease or or injury of the nervous system and later thought to be functional or psychological in origin so if you look up the root word h-y-s-t it means womb and uterus Yes. Uh, Hister. Sorry. That's the root word. (laughs) Hence the word hysterectomy. That makes makes sense. So that term, hysteria, (laughs) hysterical, is used in so many old, like, texts and stuff. Like, it's in Hamlet. Like, people were talking about Ophelia going crazy. And she's like, oh, well, she was in a form of hysteria. Like, they always use that word when yeah. was going crazy well and then i love because it's it's a <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm gonna get mean here but <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not like a positive thing it's like a defam it's a defamating word but you include something that directly relates to females when creating this word but you wouldn't do something like that with a, a word that was intrinsically male yeah <laughs> which, which is like that you hit like a girl or you're a pussy i understand the social constructs that you grew up in that we all grew up in that i have been a victim to myself but using that word does not mean weak because no balls and dicks cannot take giving birth like they are they can barely <laughs> take anything like if you hit that thing or things, whatever, like, you can't have children. Like, there's a chance that, like, you can't have children if you hit a guy there. Whereas a girl, yeah. like, we can, like, and... freaking birth a human out and be fine. Like, months later. You could accidentally graze it and it goes into searing pain. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> if, if anything, yeah, because people, I, I love the reference to people saying, well, you're so sensitive. You're a pussy. And it's like, there is nothing more sensitive 
on this earth than a pair of testicles. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? And yeah. like the clitoris has thousands of nerve endings, but you're not, you know, we're not calling people clitorises. Yeah. Really so I mean, we could. <laughs> 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 so you could pick something, you know, negative to call someone that has to be feminine. I mean, I guess you could call them a clitoris, but the pussy, I mean, shit, we can grab on and hold on if you really want us to. <laughs> 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 have you uh, seen the movie Teeth? <laughs> oh no, girl, but I've heard about it. About that. <laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs> I mean, I really, there's no explanation. Just look up the synopsis of that film, and you'll understand. <laughs> <laughs> In case you're not familiar with with B with B material, uh, American horror. That's yeah. an American That's my film, right? Type of movie genre guilty oh and by the way warren we sent you another zoom invite sorry oh thank you (laughs) see your beautiful face yeah (laughs) your beautiful masculine face oh well thank you but seriously that term like for calling people weak mm -mm, old news there's actually a bunch of words that were from like even as early as the Civil War that you can't use that are disrespectful to Native Americans, to um, the black community. Like there's just like so I forgot where I saw it. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm going to have to find that and then I'll put a link. in That are medical the- terms or just like politically correct terms like in general? Politically incorrect terms. That, oh, like, yeah. And, and, and some of those things I had no idea, like, came from a place oh, of yeah. assault. Um, so oh. my friend, she's part of the Lakota Sioux tribe. Oh, so cool. Sioux is actually a derogatory, a derogatory term. <gasps> yes, because Sioux, like pigs. It's oh, pigs. So she yes. says, do not say the term Sioux. Use the term. Um, so there's three tribes. She's part of the Lakota. And I forgot the other two but you are supposed to only use those three you're not supposed to use sue anymore oh that's s-i-o-u-x for our listeners don't use that it's insulted insulting (laughs) if you want to get really upset you should look up on a on a completely different side note you should look up uh the term picnic and where that came from (gasps) okay i don't do it right now but do it later (laughs) yeah (laughs) It's upsetting. We're white. White people have a lot to be sorry for. We. Yeah. <laughs> We're oh, there, I guess. <laughs> like, like the industrialized prison system, which is supposedly where our author, or where our um our main character feels like she is, because she literally is. She's in prison. She's in a house away from the village. There are bars on her window up in this horrible room. She's in the main tower of uh the house. So she's completely secluded from the rest of the house. And uh, there's a lot of descriptive um, vocabulary about hedges and gates and locks where she talks about being completely like locked in. And I feel I, I thought at one point they lock her in during the day, don't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. You can't really go on walks. Yeah. So she is like completely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when she starts looking out and she sees the women creeping in the garden but then she Mm. also sees the woman in the wallpaper and i think we talked about this last time where in our first recording where we mentioned that 
she said something to the effect of the woman who thinks she thinks that she sees in this awful yellow wallpaper that she is in this room that she's being sequestered in. She says that she shakes the patterns, right? And it's like, she's trying to find an exit. And we talked about last time, we weren't sure if that was the character herself and her attempts to try to find a way out, or is it like her madness or like her consciousness trying to find an escape, which I thought was really interesting to kind of play with. It even goes like, she doesn't notice, she notices that there's something behind the wallpaper, like some sort of figure or something, but it she like slowly works into that where she sees a woman and yeah, she's like banging and rattling on the wallpaper. And a quote that comes to mind is, uh, by daylight, she is subdued, quiet. And then, because she eventually starts saying, oh, the woman is leaving during the day. Like, so, she's not there during the day. Yeah. So, I listened to, I think I sent you the video a while back when you first read this novel, um, or this short story. And it was, I think, by Course Hero on YouTube. I'm almost certain that that's where I got this from. If not, please correct me. Um, but by moonlight, the moon shines in all night. When there is a moon, I wouldn't know it was the same paper. And then your quote, by daylight, she is subdued, quiet. So mm -hmm. in that video, they had described that the moon had represented her, her moon time, which is her period or her menstruation. Um, and then that to me was like really symbolic because like women are subdued in the daylight you know like by the the patriarchy and we're misunderstood we aren't um like we're the other side of the spectrum like they're the sun and we're the moon because you don't see as much of us as you do of them so i thought that was really interesting and that like she can feel comfortable like coming out at night like when the moon is out mm -hmm. because no one's looking and the patriarchy's not looking at her i mean if that's what that means but yeah just to add to your quote and then along those lines too, she uh, she also as it as it progresses, she also stops talking about like her feeling worse, even though she is feeling worse and she's still feeling these things. She stops talking about it, and John assumes that she's getting better because she's not speaking about it. She's not talking about it. She's not bringing it up because she knows that they won't listen. Which I think is a really interesting thing even today when people assume, you know, oh, well, it's not something that can be seen physically or on the outside. And so if the person just stops bringing it up, well, it must be fixed, right? It must be okay. It must be gone. And it's like, it really never goes away. It's still that turmoil on the inside. And I think that's, I think that is what, what's the word? I'm trying to think of the word deceiving about mental illness and what m misconceptions that people have about mental illness is that even when people get to a point in their depression where they decide to complete suicide, they've gotten to a point where they have a, a moment of euphoria before the, they, um, they take their lives and their family members assume like, Oh, everything's okay. They're not talking about the things that upset them anymore. You know, they've, 
you've come back like the person who I originally knew and the behavior that I once, you know, positively reacted to before all of this is okay. And this is normal. But really, this person is driving on the euphoria and the dopamine of what is a decision that they've made to end everything so that they no longer have to feel any of this. It gets worse. Sometimes when the silence happens, it's, it could, it could be that they get better from whatever, but mostly no, I'd say no, mostly. I think I looked up an interview. I want to say it was Halsey and she was talking about her disorder one day and she was like, what I learned about mental illness is that it does not go away. And she was like, I was going to a doctor like thinking, oh, I'm going to get better and this is going to get better. It's not going to happen anymore. I'm not going to have to deal with this my whole life. No, she realized that not only was it never going to go away, but like the fact of the matter was that when you get better, you're just learning how to cope with it. That's to me really, really struck me because I thought it was to me, that's extremely liberating to know that because then you're expecting it to go away when it doesn't yeah. you're like oh mm-hmm. okay it's like this epiphany that you just have you know like when you're being diagnosed for the first time like she said that she felt so much relief when she found a reason for her behavior <laughs> so and also um i just want to add to i'm getting hella joker vibes from this i don't know if you guys have seen that new movie with joaquin phoenix i have not the best quote from that movie that just like oh it helps you understand mental illness so much better than you did before you watched that movie he said The saddest thing about mental illness is that people expect you to act as if you don't have one. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Like, which is exactly what John wants from the main character. (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like, just because you're not talking about it doesn't mean you're not going through it. Yes, exactly. No, and I agree with the whole thing in regards to Halsey and what she said about, you know, the relief because. I mean, and I don't want to get too much into this because it's not related to postpartum depression or anything like that. But like when my oldest was diagnosed finally with ADHD and I sat there in the car with this folder full of information that I had gotten from the doctor, like describing his um, diagnosis. And I literally sat in the car and I cried. And not because I was upset. I wasn't like, oh my God, my son has ADHD. Like, where do we go from here? It was oh my God, he has ADHD. Now we know where to go and what information to look at and like how to treat this. Like we have a name for it. And so Mm -hmm. now we can be proactive and fixing it or not fixing it. That's the wrong word to use. Yeah. In treating it, in helping find things for him that are constructive where he can manage his emotions and manage his inattention and things like that. Like we have something constructive to finally work with to help him as opposed to just guessing and having people say like, well, he has OCD, he has ADD, he has ADHD, he has this, he has that. And, you know, getting all these different opinions. And finally we had this solidified answer of what to go off of. And that is, it it is a relief 
it's it's not something negative. It's not something, you know, to be ashamed of. It's it truly is the more information that you have about something like this and you don't stuff it down and off to the side and, you know, drive it deep down. I think the better I think the better the outcome is going to be. It's it's when you try to hide things like this that they tend to manifest in ways that are really like truly horrific, like the way that this woman does, where she literally tries to stuff it down so deep inside herself that she begins hallucinating and seeing things. And although there could be the black mold too, because we yeah. talked about the fact that there might have been black mold in that yeah, home. Yeah, there might have been black mold in that home. <laughs> and because she talks about a very yellow smell that comes out worse during the summer and like, and oh fungus. God. Yeah, no, and the fungus the shapes. All over the house. There, but there's yeah. something else about that paper, the smell. So oh, not yeah. to not yes. to direct all that onto the black mold, but I'm sure it did not help. Yeah. <laughs> I also just want to say one more thing before I lose this train of thought in this conversation we're having. Um, Ophelia, I'm going to bring it up again in Hamlet. Can't believe I've never brought this up before. But the entire, I, I know you guys have not read it in a long time. Um, if you did I, ever, I don't or, think I did. You're, you're giving us way too much credit, Joy. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, though. But the entire time you're reading Hamlet, Ophelia says like three words before she goes insane, and by like three words, I mean she just complies with everyone. She doesn't state her opinion. She doesn't like talk ever. She's just there. She's just there, supposed to marry Hamlet, and then all of a sudden randomly quote unquote she goes mad because her father died and she was rejected by hamlet so obviously this woman is going mad over a man clearly that is the answer she is only clearly. insane because it was over a man no, no 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 and um i know we're probably eventually going to read hamlet but that's just like just to add to the narrator in this novel not talking that doesn't mean that there's not a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Check on your friends. <laughs> check <Yeah>. on. <laughs> Always check on your friends. Just make sure, like, you don't have to have a long conversation with them. Just go, hey, are you okay? Especially now, especially in a pandemic where people are having to quarantine and mental health is on a, a downward spiral just in general across the country and across the world. Hold on. Hey, what? No, baby, why? What's up? You can show me really quick. Sorry, you guys. No worries. I'm have to cut this part. That's <laughs> okay. Me. What's up? What did you make? Um, I made this thing. Um, it has yeast, lobster eggs, and I put water. Oh, gross. Why lobster eggs? Are we growing lobsters? Yeah. Oh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> Neat. That's my spirit animal. <laughs> Do you want to wave and say hi? You can, you can lean down so everyone can see you. This Hello. Yeah, yeah, and I made a yellow thing. How cool. Oh, nice. Lobsters in it. Cool. <laughs> Good luck with that. How do you know they're not going to be like Jurassic lobsters, like evil lobsters? I think they're. I don't even think they're lobsters. I think they're shrimp. Oh, okay. Well, how do you know they're not going to be evil shrimp? That's the plan. <laughs> okay, close the door. Close the door, baby. Close the door. 
Thank you. Why? <laughs> I'm not cutting that. That was adorable. And can we talk about how this woman probably was like fully dressed at all times in like Victorian wear, except towards the end where she maybe was like in a nightgown? Yeah, that she probably got up every day and put on like a whalebone corset and all this other bullshit. It's like, no wonder she lost her goddamn mind. If you can't breathe and you're inhaling black mold all day long and you can't leave the house and you can't even sew or do anything that you would normally do as like a normal human being, no wonder why she went batshit. Yeah. Sorry, that's a really coarse term. She didn't go well, batshit. She, she lost her mind. There is a form of torture that is used. That is where you just take someone and you throw them in a room that's all white with like a single bed in there. Oh, yeah. It's it's called solitary confinement. We do that here. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah, that too. We totally do that here. Prison. Yeah. So. That's prison, right? Wow. Yeah. Another way that pregnancy and children change you, you suddenly become an emotional wreck. So there's that. Any final thoughts on this novel before we move on to the metamorphosis? Uh, mushrooms. And... Do them? Uh, or eat them? What? Uh, <laughs> no. I'll let I you mean, know what happens. <laughs> R.I.P. I mean, whatever whatever floats your boat, I, I don't judge. Um, so if, if mushrooms is your jam, just make sure it's not one of the ones that kills you. Um, you guys heard about the microdosing thing, sorry, to treat the anxiety and depression? Because this woman yes. clearly needed some freaking shrooms yes she did she needed she some didn't. yes no she I, needed some I totally... proper treatment sorry yes. <laughs> she she a thousand percent did no and the only thing that i was going to bring up is the uh the metaphor that uh comes up with the mushrooms because mushrooms uh relate to hell transformation and rapid growth and you can definitely say that this woman went through a rapid growth from mildly uh, mentally ill to psychotic in a very short period of time. So I think the mushrooms are very relevant. But I think at the same time, um, her mm. and last time I, I brushed on, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to very mildly brush on Andrea Yates. I don't know if anybody knows who she is. Oh. But mm -hmm. both of them definitely could have for sure modern day medicine would have been incredibly beneficial for both of these women for sure the the main character but i believe that if andrea yates had any had and i'm gonna sound like a blubbering idiot now because i keep stumbling over my words jesus i am um, too so don't no worries i hope you all know <laughs> that we're all extremely illiterate and don't know what we're doing but we're trying <laughs> we're illiterate but we started a podcast about books <laughs> but i mean i and not not to get too deep into this but i mean andrea yates was a woman who in the 90s drowned all five of her children uh, in the bathtub and looking into her because immediately when I read this I immediately thought of this woman because the postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis you know was definitely a factor for both of these people but the fact that they both had husbands who did not want to help them they thought they these I think both of these men truly thought that they were helping their wives, but really they were just making things like a thousand times worse. This is the same thing for Andrea Yates. She was put on antipsychotics. They were told not to have any more children. 
they ignored all of the doctor's recommendations. And because of that, you have a woman spending the last, the rest of her life in prison, which I, I did read finally that they did release her to a psychiatric facility. I believe um, they appealed her life sentence and um, she was remitted to a psychiatric facility, which I think is the best thing for her because she was truly, truly mentally ill. But the fact that her husband just completely disregarded any type of modern medicine or psychiatric care for his wife, I think was to her and their children's detriment. Like he went on to live and marry again and have more children. Um, But this woman and these children's lives are cut short because he had to follow God's way and have as many children as, you know, physically possible, which I just, I find really gross and not to, not to discount, you know, religion in general, but the fact that you somehow think that God dictates to you how many children that you should or should not have, I think is really gross. I think that's just something that should be between a couple and mainly on a woman, because unfortunately, you know, even if you're in a relationship and (laughs) yeah, I mean, men, not to say that men don't have a participation in the child rearing process and like raising children. And they're not just as, you know, influential and a part of that process, but the process of giving life and growing a child, that is a very arduous process. And if you go through it once and you say, "Uh -uh, no, never again, I really hope that the men out there understand that if your wife goes through that process or your partner goes through that process and decides, uh, uh-uh, no, we're not doing that again. I really hope that people can respect that because it is truly, it should be a thousand percent in, in the choice of a woman as to whether or not she goes through that process. Uh, because it is, it is not for the faint of heart. It is not easy. And if it was, then everyone would be doing it. I mean, I feel like nowadays, you know, there are more and more people of our generation who are just like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to get a dog and call it a day, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is totally fine. But yeah, no, I I really think that these women could have definitely benefited from some modern day mental health. It truly is one-sided. I agree. But that's my final thoughts on the yellow wallpaper. I really enjoyed this. Join, I literally had like a 45 minute text conversation back and forth after, after I finished this. Yeah, I was, I was like, like, she just wanted to sew. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? Let her sew. Yeah, Yeah, it's really good. I'd recommend the read, not just as as a uh not just as a piece that's like highly metaphorical and highly but it's really well written too like it is you get the sense of everything that's happening and all this that's going through and it's really cool even the first time when i read it at the end she's she does tear off the wallpaper in the room and at first i was like wow this is kind of a horror ending because i thought that she had turned into the wallpaper oh yeah yeah Yeah, like became it and I was like, wow, because she she crawls like like creeps over him or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, he he faints like a little baby at the yeah. end. Yeah. 
And she <laughs> just does. crawls over the top of him like a freaking, like the bitch from the ring. <laughs> she, she's like, unfazed, John, unfazed. Exactly. <laughs> also, Respect to her. The hallucinogenic properties in the fungus in the wall. I just want to bring up shrooms again. I wonder if that's the same hallucinogen that possibly lives in a lot of mushrooms that make you hallucinate no it's it's toxic it's the okay. thing yeah it's toxic is like, the thing that happens like, <laughs> no yeah black mold is extremely toxic it's okay. really nasty stuff <laughs> it's like so don't don't eat mushrooms? black moles from your wall please yeah. don't oh my god like, I wonder if I lick it. I wonder if I'll get high. Yeah. Scientists, tell me now. So we should we move on to metamorphosis? Yeah. yeah. So Franz Kafka, the author, was born July 3rd, 1883, and died uh, June 3rd, 1924. He's a, a German-speaking bohemian novelist and short story writer. His work often features isolated protagonists who are up against odd or super, or I mean, surreal, I can't read either, surreal predicaments, <laughs> often interpreted as exploring themes of alienation, existential anxiety, guilt, and absurdity. Is this from the Wikipedia? I yes, it is. I believe so. <laughs> yes. Born into a middle-class family in Prague, the capital kingdom of Bohemia, now known as the Czech Republic. They drink a lot of beer there, apparently. No, that's like totally <laughs> a thing. Not to like cut you off, but uh, the annual consumption in 2020 of the Czech Republic reached 135 liters per capita, the lowest since the 1960s. Uh, this is the full seven liters lower than 2019 when consumption was 142 liters per capita. Wow. Uh, they drink a lot of beer there. Yeah. <laughs> Fun fact. The author was trained as a lawyer and then worked for an insurance company, Snore. <laughs> Insert Snore. Uh, yeah. He had a strained relationship with his father, Go Figure, and engaged on and off to, was engaged on and off to several women never marrying, and then died at the age of 40 from tuberculosis. His buddy was instructed to destroy all of his unfinished works after his death, and his buddy went, nah, you're in the way of Van Gogh and other obscure artists of the day, and you will become posthumously famous, or posthumously, I believe. Posthumously, sorry. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Kafka ended up burning most of his work and never finished any of his full-length novels. In 1912, Kafka wrote the Metamorphoses uh, Der Wunderlung, I believe is oh, how you say that. Congrats, that looks Wunderlung, I believe. Spot on. Sounds <laughs> or, correct. Or the transformation. <laughs> Critics regard the work as one of the seminal works of fiction of the 20th century. And yes, I did have to look up seminal. <clears throat> it is a work or event or moment that influences future works. Or it means related to denoting semen. Because something yes. influential would have, have semen in it. <laughs> <laughs> Which again, we were talking about hysteria and how hysteria is something intrinsically negative. But then something like seminal, which means that you influence future works, of course, has to have something to do with semen. Seriously? Of course. <laughs> of course. Because semen just starts everything. So it yeah. must influence future <laughs> influence future works. Wait, are we talking about like ejaculation? 
Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're not talking about sailors. I was like, Wait, sailors? And you guys were like, no. No. <laughs> Worst case scenario, Joy, not sailors. <laughs> yeah, no. Not a bunch of men on a boat, Joy. The actual stuff that comes out of a penis. Yeah. <laughs> Aside from urine. And yeah. Yes. Yeah. Else. Yeah, it's a, it's a multi-lane highway there. Yeah, it does a lot of things. <laughs> okay. To define the word metamorphosis is a change or or change of the form or nature of a thing or person into a completely different one by natural or supernatural means. The process of transformation from an immature form to an adult form in two or more distinct stages. And that and is a Google translation. I did not write that myself. So thank you, Google. Thank you, Google. And, and thank you, Wikipedia, for all of the information in regards to Charlotte Perkins and Franz Kafka, because that's where all my information came from. <laughs> yep. We love Wiki. <clears throat> yes. Donate to Wiki. And uh, the book tells the story of a salesman, Gregor Samsa, who wakes up one morning to find himself inexplicably transformed into a huge insect and subsequently struggles to adjust to his new condition. Okay, so Joy, did you go to the drive and did you look at the pictures that I uploaded to the drive? <clears throat> of this one? No. Of Kafka's? Yeah, no, you've got to look. Go. I'm going to do it right now. Okay, so Kafka, I, I mean, not to judge anybody by their looks, but he looks so serious. Oh my god, and I know you they have Benedict to Cumberbatch on here. Of course I did. Of I course. listened to the audiobook. <laughs> yeah, we did. It's a beautiful vocal cords of benedict cumberbatch very buttery i i i really truly recommend if you can't get a hold of the short story definitely listen to the audio audible book that is narrated by benedict cumberbatch because why would you not want him to make love to your eardrum (laughs) (laughs) very spot on penetrate with your vocal cords Benedict. yeah not with anything else yeah <laughs> just the vocal yeah i don't want just your finger the... in there <laughs> no willies no wet willies yeah no of any kind yeah. <laughs> oh gross to be fair we are drinking wine some of us so don't oh well i finished us. my my mug is empty because i i'm sitting on my floor and i didn't want to knock over a wine glass so Okay, so I had never read this before, and you guys had, and so I I literally got like 10 minutes into this, paused it, and immediately texted you guys in the group <laughs> text, yeah. and went, what the fuck is this? This yeah. man wakes up as a goddamn bug? What are, what are you trying to do? It is the most millennial <laughs> thing in the world to wake up as a bug. A literal insect. This man wakes up as a different species, and his first thought is, "Huh, I wonder if I can make it to work on time." Still, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> "I gotta catch the train. <laughs> I gotta catch the 7 a.m. train." And I'm like, "What?" You're like, "Shouldn't we deal with this problem first? Yes, exactly. <laughs> you're an actual bug. Yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I was I, so upset by this. <laughs> 
in my notes, I wrote, then this is an actual thing. He's struggling to get out of bed. It's very relatable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it did take him like almost a good like 45 minutes just to get out of bed. I'm like, I can totally relate to this when my alarm goes off at like 4.30 and then I snooze it like 10 times and then I slowly struggle to get out of bed at 6 a.m. For real. <laughs> Oh my god, that was the best thing ever in so long. That was so funny. Oh man. And then uh, he's yeah. He's like, Yeah, I don't I don't wanna keep this job, but I gotta do it for for the family. And he, as soon as I get up enough money, we can finally like pay off all of the dad's debts and gain some sort of independence. Yes. If this is not the lie that every millennial tells themselves that one day, one day I'll pay off all my debts and one day I'll be able to do things that I actually want to do. <laughs> this is incredibly relatable, especially in, in today's times. It's just, yeah, no, I, 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 I feel this man. <laughs> I think the metaphor behind it, if I remember from college when my professor was explaining it, he's on the floor like looking through the cracks of the door all the time and I think that's a metaphor for something like he's at the bottom of the food pyramid or something to do with people who work in like really 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 awful places and don't get paid enough like pretty much customer service is what I think of when I think of this novel like you're working your whole life or pretty much nothing literally on the dirt of someone else's floor like I forgot what movie I watched, but they were taking, um, like, you're, you're either in the chair doing some, someone's nails or you're getting your nails done. It's like two mm. different types of people in the world. As yes. I'm, like, sitting mm-hmm. here with fake nails. <laughs> <laughs> but you're like, but I tip and I'm nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I've worked in customer service. I've done my dues. <laughs> yes, exactly. We've all done our dues. <laughs> oh, I... I'll be honest, I have yet to work in customer service, but I am always nice to customer service people. Oh, my God. I think that should be like different countries have required military service. I think in the U.S. we need to have required at least three years minimum of customer service experience for everyone just across the board. Like, I don't care if you're a millionaire. I don't care who you are. You have to at some point work in a restaurant, work in retail or something where you have to deal with some person named bob screaming at you at the top of his lungs and spitting all over you because you mildly inconvenienced his afternoon so yeah yeah Yeah. i've i've heard stories like my brother got he got a food thrown in his face (gasps) oh yeah yeah what a dick yeah (laughs) who does that see that's the thing and i mean I think that's what probably makes this book so infuriating is that you're you're valuable in society until you're as long as you're contributing something to it. Like I think we had this conversation before at some point where mm-hmm. you know, as long as you're contributing to society, then you you qualify or you deserve some of the benefits that society offers. But if you can't 
if you can't contribute anymore, like either you're too old or you're disabled or you fall into one of these categories or you wake up as a bug, yeah, <laughs> you, you no longer deserve the niceties of society. And I think, unfortunately, there are so many people that still have this as their their worldview that unless you're actively contributing, you no longer deserve social niceties or any type of respect or anything like that, or you don't deserve any type of, I guess, what people would like to call handouts or anything like that. Mm. You don't deserve any type of support or respect. And I, I think that's what's so tragic about Gregor is he really, truly deep down, he wants the best for his family. He keeps talking about wanting to send his sister to music school and all this other stuff he's trying to help his dad pay off his debts you know he and at one point he actually he has this this memory about bringing home money for the first time and just keeping a little bit for himself but then giving the rest to his parents so that they can continue to buy food and keep a roof over their heads and all this other stuff and the joy and the um the gratitude that came from this and Mm -hmm. how that slowly kind of trickles away and it just becomes this thing that's expected this is yeah. what Gregor is supposed to do. This is his contribution to the family. Not that we love him as a person for being a part of our family. It's strictly based on what he can contribute to us. And I, I really think that for me, that's a true tragedy for Gregor is not that he ends up as a bug, <laughs> but that his family view him as strictly a tool and ultimately at the end of the day his and that ends up being the fate of his sister too i mean it's not strictly talked about at the end of the book but i think that that ends up being her fate as well she's a tool for the betterment of her parents lives essentially yeah they got used to him doing like everything and it even goes in and he says uh, something along the lines of uh they were still thankful but no no warm feelings were engendered anymore. Yes. Yes. Which, I mean, it's not like they had to, I don't think they had to like get on their feet and grovel or like, you know, treat him like a God or anything. No, but yeah, it, it definitely became some, that was something that was commonplace. It was just something expected. This is just what you're supposed to do. You're fulfilling your role as a part of this family. And if you do anything less, you're no longer valuable to us. Because his dad's hair was disheveled and his mother didn't, like, neither of them had to work and his sister could focus on the violin playing and they were able to sort of live this carefree life. And then he gets turned into a bug and suddenly they, they're like, oh, I guess now we have to put in our part I mean, without, yes. without helping to take care of Gregor. And that's how they're treating him, too. Like, he might as well be a bug. He might mm-hmm. as well be a roach, like an infestation to their household now is because yep. he's just a burden. And he's still in his heart. Like he keeps saying to himself, like, oh, my gosh, like I feel so. Oh, my God. I have so many quotes. Like he feels so bad <laughs> that he has to put this on his family. Like he holds so much guilt because of this like thing that he had no control over of becoming a bug. And he's just like, I feel so bad that they have to go through this their behavior was understandable because of the entire situation. Like that's on page 36 in my version, but 
that like his family's reaction to this was understandable to Gregor. I'm like, Gregor, no, it's not. No. <laughs> Love yourself. Like you're doing no. so much for them. <clears throat> Stop. And yeah, like his sister was the only one brave enough to check on him. And now she's like going to go through the same thing. But she kind of started to get a little cranky at the end too. And she was oh, like, yeah, I'm no, I think that he's alive. Yeah, no, I, I mean, because she she fully breaks at the end where she's like this burden. It's not even their brother anymore or their son anymore. It's this burden because she goes on like that little rant at the end where she's slamming her hands on the table and the uh, the renters that are renting the other room, you know, are all disgusted because he came out of the room for a second to listen to her play the violin because he loves hearing it so much. And she kind of loses it and she's like, it would be better if he would just disappear basically Mm -hmm. where if he just went away, like how do we get rid of him essentially? And they all kind of just nod their heads in agreement of yes, there has to be something that is done about this because we can no longer do this. And it's, it's just a burden to unload or to remove as opposed to, someone who used to be a part of that family. And uh, I really, I really hate to, to make the correlation between this and people who are disabled because it clearly is not anywhere close to being the same thing. But I wonder if this is a correlation between how disabled people in the past were treated. I mean, you're talking about a time when, you know, people who had children who were disabled or autistic or possibly had downs weren't treatable at home. And so these people were like, well, how do I unburden myself from this chore of taking care of this person, this child or this aging elderly, like adult, you unload them at the sanatorium and just drop them off and just go like, they're no longer my problem anymore. Now I can go back to living my normal life or I can. Yeah. It definitely could be just like as a universal text should. It's probably a metaphor for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. and and then I like how they talked about Gregor's uh, relationship with his father. I think was clearly a representation of Kafka and his father because yeah. even when he did have a job and was contributing, it was almost like his father still kind of resented him. <laughs> Toxic resented him for being more successful <laughs> yes because yes. Gregor's father his business failed and after his business failed like he was able to even keep a little bit of side money for some reason which for whatever yes! reason he didn't okay. share with the family and yes. and like Gregor has to go in and pick up the whole family from this from this like failure of a business and it's like how is why is that his responsibility? Because he's a man. Yeah, because he's, he's a man. man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I I remember hearing that, and I'm like, oh, so they totally kept him in the dark about the fact that there was money available, even though his dad is supposed to be paying off debts. They they completely kept him in the dark about this, and it's not brought up until they're at their absolute worst, which I find infuriating. Like this, this kid was really, and the, and ultimately he was. I think he was. How old did he say he was? He was in. Uh, well, his sister was in his twenties. He was like in his thirties, I think. Something like that, I think. 
but he's not old by any means. But I mean, it clearly seemed like this that Gregor didn't have like much of a social life. Like he he maybe hung out with like some people from work, but for the most part, I mean, he was completely dedicated to his family and gave everything to them. And then at the end, they they kind of they kind of shafted him. No, like they, they did. royally fucked <clears throat> Gregor over to the point where the only person who really gave a shit when he died was the housemaid. Yeah. Was the annoying housemaid who he e- even couldn't stand. He's like, I wish I could talk to you because <laughs> I want to tell you to shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was the only one who talked to him and and the yeah. first words, the first words from his sister were in anger and it was you Gregor because he was up on a wall trying to keep a picture from being taken yeah what is that picture I I, I kind of was thinking about that is that somebody so I'm it's not sure what to it represent is. um a woman like uh like a poster of like an, an attractive woman on a wall like at the time like okay. during that time period so he wanted to at least keep like something in his room that reminded him of his human life, I think. But I, I know I watched a video on Course Hero and they said that the significance of that woman, because I don't know if you guys remember, but he talks about um, intercourse in the very beginning. And I think it's implied that like he wants something to ease his mind and he just wants to be able to have that picture for her or for like his sake or his sanity or something, or maybe the only thing he wants to hold on to being human but um, yeah, she she's just supposed to be an attractive woman in a picture. Okay, so it's not anybody actually specific that no. he like had a relationship with or anything. Okay, because mm-hmm. I was wondering about that. I was it's, curious about that. It's weird too because they initially just went into that room when they're doing this whole furniture moving thing, and he crawls up on the wall. His sister was going to go in and just take out a few pieces of furniture so he could have more crawling room. And then it just transformed like, let's just take it all out. Yeah. He's like, why is that? Probably stripping him of his like, I would say of his home. Like they're taking pretty much everything that he has because he's this weird bug. That's how I took it, at least like. I don't know, Warren, what do you think? Because I was I was a little confused about that. Like, a lot of the other stuff made sense to me. But the fact that his sister got so indignant about the fact that she went in to try to move furniture around. She couldn't do it all by herself. So she brought their mother in. And the minute that their mother started making suggestions about where things should go and she was no longer kind of in control of the situation, she got really upset and decided, we're going to move all of it out. What, I think that's... Wait, I think that's what it may have been a little like control freakishness of the situation. Cause even throughout the novel, she's the, she demands that she's the only one to be in that room. Cause the mother does go in and gives it a significant cleaning at one point, And she yells at her mother yeah. over it. Is it, <clears throat> do you think it's something that has to do? I mean, do you guys think that it's something that has to do specifically with, just she doesn't feel like he deserves it or is it something more along the lines of if it's not done by her then she doesn't think that it's going to be good i don't i wasn't so, sure about that according to spark notes um greta sees that gregor enjoys climbing up the walls and across the ceiling 
so she decides to remove the furniture from the room to give him more space. Gregor hides as usual, but he grows anxious as he hears his mother worry that she and Greta might be doing him a disservice by stripping the room of his possessions. So maybe just of like, they're stripping him of like who he is. Like he's mm-hmm. no longer like a human anymore. Like he, this space. Oh, that he, he no longer in. needs these oh. human accessories and things. Yeah. Yeah. Like a materialistic well, thing. Yeah. Well, and in the beginning she was so accommodating and he mm-hmm. was so grateful because she, at first, like the first night, she brings him all these different kinds of food. And it's weird how, you know, she she brings things of all different kinds, like rotting vegetables. And then she brings him bread and she brings him like cream from like dinner that's got like, oh, the description in that was so gross. So she Old used, like cheese. Yeah, the, the cream with like the film on top. So it was like a sauce at some point that probably had been warm, but had like congealed at some point. And it gets that like, what is it? The the film on top that's kind of like sticky. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. hated that description so much. And then he was like, I totally ate that. That was freaking delicious. And I'm like, yeah. that, that and the bug. cheese, the nasty cheese that had some mold on it. Yeah. He's a bug, and I think, I think it's a, he doesn't crave the good food anymore. The he fresh craves food. Rot. He yeah. craves the he, rot, which yeah. may be symbolism for that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I actually, this reminds me of a situation that happened like a year ago. I worked with this older gentleman at a movie theater for like a long time. I think I was there for like four years and he was a janitor. The sweetest freaking guy in the world. He he was my coworker's dad. And for some reason when I read this, I always think of him because he worked literally his whole life. He didn't go to school or anything, but he had like four jobs and it was just working. And he also worked at Walgreens. Like I saw him everywhere. This man was working himself to death. And then last year I find out like right before he retired that he passed away. I was like, are you (gasps) fucking kidding? No. Like this guy worked his entire life. Like Greg, like, like freaking Gregor Samsa and just like worked himself literally to death literally it just made me so upset and like i just wish and hope that like people who work their whole lives i hope it pays off one day like that's just like some like the thing about this novel that really like irks me because there's so many people who work their entire lives for nothing and then they just die and it's just so upsetting i'm not sure which which uh concentration camp it was but whichever one had work will set you free Oh, yeah, I think that was... I'm getting vibes of that right now. Yes, yes. America, (laughs) what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, work will set you free if you work all your life. It'll be worth it. And it's like, but it's not turning out that way because the way that things are going now, even with a full-time job and a 401k, I'm going to have to work till I'm like 80 to be able to afford to retire at some point. And I've had a 401k since I was in my 20s. (laughs) But we need to think of the poor old billionaires. I know. Oh God. They yeah. Top of their freaking spaceships and look oh down upon us. Their dick their spaceships. <laughs> their dick spaceships. Yeah. Fuck you. Seriously, shoot yourself into space in a this giant is, penis. If there was anything that was more mis- oh, just uber masculine than that, I just can't. 
It can't. I have also heard that America, I, does this take place in America? I'm pretty sure it does. No, I don't think it does because it I, was. I think it's supposed to be in whatever. I don't think the place is like, is said or whatever, but it seems like it, it takes place in probably whatever the modern society of that time was. And it could just be a general location, maybe even uh Maybe it's more related to what he knew as a being a insurance rep. I think <clears throat> it sounds because they have the instead of calling like the characters Mister or Mrs., they called them Herr Samsa, and that sounds like a German um, yeah. solicitation. I mean, so it could be German or Czech. They could both use the same solicitation or beginning or nicety. So, I mean, that's a possibility. I don't think that it's in America, though. Yeah. I think it also depends on the society, because I know that Germans, um, Americans, and I want to say it's Chinese societies, um, they often, like, find pleasure in working. Like, they think that you're supposed to work a lot and obey orders and do this and this and that. Like, I've always heard that about America, at least. Um I can't really speak for German and Chinese. I, if I remember, I'm pretty sure pretty dedicated to their work as well. But um, yeah, I mean, like whatever society he is living in, like I don't want to live in it. it. Sounds extremely masculine. It sounds like you don't get a break mm-hmm. <laughs> for anything. Like I don't know. It's it sounds it sounds like America to me. Like they literally showed up at his house to not to check on him to tell him to come to work. Like, like what it, are you doing? It, You're a bug. And it wasn't even work. yeah. It wasn't and they demeaned like, him too. Yeah, and it wasn't like a runner or something like that, like some errand boy. It was like what the assistant clerk. It was the or head clerk. Like yeah. Head clerk. Yeah. Yeah. So a guy that's probably supposed to be working and has a ton of shit to do, supposedly, they send this guy to go check on somebody at home, like for real. <laughs> He doesn't have like, what is this? At like five oh one a.m. They're like, oh well, Gregor's not here, so or or sorry, I think it was seven that he started work. So so seven oh one, Gregor's not here. I better go to his home and go get him. Yes, and not only that, but it it yeah, it's the kind of thing where it wasn't just a shame on Gregor; it was a shame on his his whole family that he had somehow not shown up for work. You despicable person! I know. Yeah, how dare you? How dare you not work yourself to death? And and on the chastising too, they were like, they were like, well, we know it's been a slow season, but you still have to make sales. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and then what I think the way that he worded it as is. You know, you still have to make sales. We were giving you like the benefit of the doubt because it's been a slow season, but you still have to somehow make it work. Yeah, it's kind of and it's kind of like the pandemic. Like, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> we know that people are broke and people are losing their jobs and people are being kicked out of their homes and like everyone's in lockdown and you're technically not supposed to leave your house, but please come to work and continue to pay your bills. Um, because we need society to still function. And if you didn't see something like this coming and you don't have like a rainy day fund or you don't have a nest egg, well, then I just don't know what to tell you. You should have done better. Yeah, I, do I, better. I 
hate that mentality uh, of you should you should have just known that this was a possibility and it's like but I don't think but anybody nobody did. knew this was happening. <laughs> no. No, and in fact you actively kept it from us. You really tried to not let us know what was happening, even though they knew months ahead of time that this was going to be a problem. Oh yeah. Not to in any way, shape, or form get political, but yeah, our, our government had full pretty knowledge much just... that this was going to be an issue and they did nothing to prepare us. They're like waiting for us to die so they could collect all of our social security. Like, right? Well, no, so they, they don't have to like, pay if you it. Die, no, so they don't have to pay it out to us anymore because there will be no social security for you, me, and Warren. It'll we... be gone by the time it's our turn. We might as well all be gregor like literally him dying was the best thing that happened to that family like we're all burdens (laughs) like that's literally how this makes me feel it's no except for the fact that if you if we were all to like simultaneously like quit our jobs and just turn into bugs and just not show up to work society as a whole would fail (laughs) Mm -hmm. but we'd be bugs and we'd probably be like flourishing right (laughs) yeah (laughs) instead flourish as a bug and this is the man, stupidest conversation I've ever. I got, <laughs> I got a, I got a quote from the book too that like kind of relates to it. It's like, it's and this has to do with the lodgers. The exact quote is, "Look at oh, how they... these lodgers gorge themselves while I waste away." Oh, I know he was yeah. so hungry. They, those guys were such douches, and his oh, parents sucked up to them so hard. It was awful to watch. Ugh. Or to listen yeah. to. I didn't watch anything happen. In my mind's eye, in my in my in my movie in my brain that was playing as this was happening, I watched them. Yeah, right. Be gross. I hated that. <laughs> yeah, those guys I sucked. Was, they were really bad. I was really waiting for something to come up and one of them to like make a pass at his sister or something. I was waiting for that to happen. Yeah, yeah luckily, right. I Actually, into that. I kind of forgot. I was like, do they like? kind of whore her away to like one of the lodgers like what i I would not have put it past their dad yeah i really he was like oh yeah do you want my daughter to play the violin for you and even after like a time for that the the lodgers like get bored yeah and they got bored of her yeah and then gregor's like like, this is the most beautiful music i've ever seen i even experienced this as a bug like like am i an animal if i can really love this type of music yeah. and yes. meanwhile like she's like Gregor's bothering me he needs to die yes <laughs> yeah yes oh my god that was I think that was probably like the most heartbreaking thing is like what you said Joy when he literally made that that connection of if I'm truly an animal can I really be moved by this music in this way yeah it, and that's basically the quote too because i wrote that one down (laughs) it was really good and like i said i listened to this while i was at work so i did not take notes but that did stick with me that was that was really hard to listen to i felt bad about about that one a lot oh my gosh there was something else related to that one as well oh i thought it was really interesting the fact that he Although, like, you know, he had all these bug-like tendencies, like with eating the rotting food, and he talks about the slow, like, deterioration of his vision, like, he can't see the hospital across the street anymore, which also, okay, I'm gonna get off on another tangent, totally separate (laughs) from the point that I was trying to make, 
The fact that the hospital is across the street and they won't even take him to the fucking hospital. Yeah, for real, right? Seriously. I didn't even think about that. But What the hell? It's literally no... across the street. These people have no problem-solving skills. Like, Gregor the entire time is trying to solve this problem. Like, he's like, if I just get up and go to work, it will be fine. And that's, like, so when I first read this, I think I was in, I was still at Saracoso. So I was at my junior college. And my professor was like, no one ever questions why he turned into a bug. And she was like, I what? did. What? I did. Like, but that nobody was like the in first... the book. Like, no yeah, one no. is like, Gregor, did you eat something? Like, what's going on? Like, yeah. they're just like, oh, well, he's a bug and this is our reality and we can't do anything to fix it. Well, I think they expect it to resolve on its own. Mm-hmm. They, they literally are just waiting for him, like, one day to wake up and just not be a bug anymore. He's waiting for that, too. Like, yes. But I think it's, it's, I don't think it's, they just expect it to be fixed. And that's why they don't take it to the, him to the hospital. I think they see the reaction of the head clerk when he first sees him and the reaction of the maid. And it's the shame and the fear that keeps them from walking him across the street to a hospital. And not to say that that could have fixed the issue because I don't think that, and I don't think that <laughs> that century of doctor would have been able to sit there and go, oh, yes, I have the cure for this. Man. Um, me being a parent, and I think anybody who has a family member that they desperately love and love unconditionally would do anything to try to get that person or give that person some opportunity to be better again. And the fact that they literally do nothing, I think, is the most infuriating part. And their acceptance overall of just, like, this is now our life until it becomes too unbearable. And then they're like, you know what? We just need to get rid of him. It's just better just to, you know, call it quits. And then it's like, he's a human. (laughs) Yeah. And then he just dies. Yes. He just dies. And they... They cry, but I don't know if that crying was over sorrow of his death or if I it, think was it was joy. Relief. Yeah, yes. or if it was grief. Like it's it's so he just just unceremoniously he's just dead, and the maid finds him. Yes, the yes. maid it, finds him dead. And what did the maid call the family members when she finally left for the last time? Because she was the one who ultimately had to get get rid of his body. Or the the corpse. Okay, I, in my fairy tale Disney uh, Disney mind, I was hoping that after he died, his body would at least turn back into a person. That way, they could at least bury a body and have some semblance of grief and feel bad that really he was in there the whole time. But no, he stayed a bug. I was yep. really upset about that. And they didn't <laughs> even want to know. They didn't even want to know from the maid what how she got rid of it. No, and she, and she wanted she to tell them? of them. Yes. And what did she call them? Did she call them monsters? Uh, she just said good riddance to the Ladia and then something else after that. Yeah. I can't remember the exact quote. Oh, but she was disgusted with them because she, yeah. it, she was, like we said, she was the only one who talked to him. Like he was even semi like a human being. Like he says, I think at some point that I think she's figured out the situation and she, she may not be even explicably explicitly told but she understands like what's happening. And so she talks to him like a person as opposed to just like dirt 
Is she the one that says he might be gravely ill and here we are tormenting him? Or was that his mom? Um, I think that may have been his mom. It's his mom. But I don't know. But yeah, like I was just trying to because it says, did you understand a single word? The manager was asking Gregor's parents, quote, surely he isn't trying to make fools of us, unquote, for heaven's sake. Gregor's mother cried, already weeping. Quote, he might be gravely ill, and here we are tormenting him. That I think that was his mother, because she was the one yeah. who thought that he might be sick or something was wrong in okay. the beginning. Okay. <clears throat> like, was I confusing that with the maid? Because that was, like, kind of sincere, but also his mom still did nothing. <laughs> That's no. Like, sick. But, I mean, let's be realistic. Was there anything that his mother honestly could have done that the sister or the father would have allowed him to do? Because you have to figure the mother is probably subjugated completely by the father. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, she essentially has to do whatever it is that he says. But then at the end, it still doesn't keep her from just saying, okay, well, our oldest child has now deceased after being a bug for three months. Um, now we're, look at our beautiful blooming daughter. What should yeah. we do with her? <laughs> yeah. Sure. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> they're, all, they're all like, when, when he finally does die, they're like, oh my God, we're all working. We're all making money. And wow, she has blossomed. It, that's oh. the exact word. It's like, that's uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I hate like let's sell her for three goats yes. two lambs. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's literally the internal conversation that they talk about having between the parents is now, you know, we have the opportunity to better our circumstances even further by essentially marrying our daughter off, who is this accomplished musician and could go to school and possibly become something more than just a housewife. But that would mean that it would serve her and not yeah. us. Yeah. Which I hated wanted to for his sister to do in the first place. Like he's like, you do you and I will. Support. Yes. But then, yeah. No. Yeah. So he was going to yeah. send her to the conservatory, even in his words, at great expense. Yeah. And he wasn't going to hear any, any complaints about it. Yes. He was just like, you're, you're a good musician. Let's, let's get you on that train. But yeah. he turned into a bug. Yes. At his own detriment, he he really was going to sacrifice to see the betterment of his sister's life. He he truly was a as a fictional character, he truly was just giving and loving. And he did love his family unconditionally, even though he could feel their resent- resentment or their unappreciation of the work that he was doing. He continued to give without asking anything in return. And he wasn't and, even codependent, like at all. Like, no, he wasn't no. giving to get, yeah, like he wasn't giving to get something in return. He was just doing yeah. it because he loved doing it. Very self sufficient, yeah. very caring. I don't think he loved doing it. He loved his family. Mm-hmm. Or he yeah, loved his sister. Yeah, he didn't like the job. He even Did wanted he- to quit. Did he maybe love his sister in a way you shouldn't love your sister? Did anybody else get that vibe? I I, I felt that a, a few times. It was okay. It was strange. Because <laughs> did he talk about kissing her neck at some point? Oh, maybe I don't like Gregor. Never yeah, mind. <laughs> yeah. No, he did. He did. He totally did. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I have brothers, and Joy have never kissed my brothers on the neck. <laughs> Just FYI. <laughs> yeah. Oh I my gosh. I I just know this time period is really fucked up. That's why a lot of our great authors uh, that we read are from this time period. Like they just were so upset, so they had to get it out and like use metaphors to explain. Like you don't do this. Like, this is humanity. Like, we have the power to be better people. And you guys, like, don't do this. Well, and I think Franz Kafka was Gregor to yeah. a certain yeah. extent. Probably. I, I think. And I haven't read any of his other stuff. I, I obviously had heard of him. But I I don't think that Franz Kafka wanted to be an insurance agent. No. But then he what didn't have the confidence or the um, he didn't have the confidence to be an author either, even though he clearly was extremely talented. Like he had to be told by one of his friends. I think I read in the Wikipedia article one of his friends had to encourage him to write. And even then, still, he burned most of his work because he just he didn't see it as being as a contribution. He wasn't yeah. contributing anything to society, most likely, by writing these things, which was probably, you know, beaten into him, probably literally and physically as a child. So yeah, yeah so probably. He grew up in the patriarchy. His dad was probably really expectant of him to have a masculine job, you know, contributing to society. And he's over here writing stuff. His dad's like, what are you doing? You know? So he's yeah. probably like, yeah, you're right. There's some kind of reflection of that in there i don't know i always bring it back to like toxic masculinity and that's why like comparing these two i just want to point out that the woman in the yellow wallpaper and gregor samsa are trying to diminish the problems that they're dealing with like that are not just tiny problems that you solve like they're both diminishing the what word am i looking for um the enormity of their issues <laughs> yeah or like the urgency of their issues like they need to like instead of like locking gregor in a room take him to a hospital instead it's of across the street in a room take her to a hospital like because yes. both of the books and expect things to solve themselves on their own like, yeah both of these know. problems happen over like a month or three months or something yes. they're very short time periods where they just like people these people just break yes it doesn't and take in much gregor's case he dies but yes. you know as human beings, and that's the one thing that I think is really interesting in G Gregor's case of the fact that although he is physically like another species, he keeps mentally his humanity. Like even over a period of time, his eyesight decreases, his change in taste uh, changes, but mentally he is still there as a human. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Triggering. It's yeah, it's it's a it's a very real thing and I'm sure each of us all felt it just in just felt it for him. Yes, Gregor was very relatable as someone who contributes to society and has one of those jobs where I am working for the man quote unquote yeah <laughs> and i don't like necessarily what i do and i don't feel fulfilled by it and i don't think gregor felt fulfilled about what he was doing 
And I'm not sure that the woman in the yellow wallpaper felt fulfilled by what she was doing, living her domesticated life and fulfilling her responsibility as a wife by having children. It clearly was not the only thing that she wanted to do, but that was the role that she was forced into, much like the way that Gregor was forced into that role. They clearly wanted other things from their lives. Oh, but that was the point that I was trying to make earlier was mentally, we're so fragile as human beings. There are certain things that just will break us if we don't take care of ourselves. So be kind to yourself and take care of your mental health. Do things you want to do. And if you need help, get therapy. There's no shame in it. There's nothing like that. And it'll help. It'll give you the tools you need to help better uh, work and deal with your situation. It's not, and it won't be something that goes away. It's not something that you can just magically wish away. It's, it'll be a struggle. Yes. But there are things that you can do to definitely make your life and the lives of everyone around you better. Exactly. Because ultimately, you know, obviously the person who suffers from, you know, a, a mental illness is ultimately the most affected, but it does affect, it has ripple effects. It affects the people around you, you know, regardless of whether or not they're in constant contact with you, you know, it, it is something that, you know, definitely affects the people around you as well. So be kind to your to your brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would like to preface also that we all have been or are currently in therapy. So yes, yes. for this type of conversation. Um, and we would love to hear your guys's thoughts on this and how it contributes to your life and like society and what books you like to read and have helped you deal with these kinds of things. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we do have an Instagram. We don't have a Facebook, do we? And Facebook I, is dead, uh, right? I'm not a boomer, <laughs> so I don't want to. <laughs> no, I don't either. <laughs> I no longer have a Facebook. <laughs> don't, boomers don't. don't hate me. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'm all right with boomers hating me. <laughs> but definitely, I I didn't. In, I wouldn't say that I enjoyed Metamorphosis, but it definitely gave me a lot to think about, and I definitely related to it. I I related to, and I enjoyed the yellow wallpaper. Uh, but that's, I think, just because I'm a woman with children. So maybe that's why I enjoyed it so much. I don't know. Definitely enjoyed both of the books. Um, I have to say this just for posterity. I This is my fourth time listening through Metamorphosis. And I love this book. It's, it's, such, a, it's such a mood for me. And I would highly recommend anyone read it. See, I was smiling through the whole way of you saying that, Warren. I love that. And this is <laughs> this is ultimately, I think this is why we wanted to do this because I, I whether you're listening to a book or you're reading a book or you know, you're reading a hardback or a paperback or you know, you're reading on a Kindle, I don't think it matters where you're getting your your book sources from pick up a book, read a book, whatever floats your boat. If it's a short story, if it's a novella, if it's, you know, sci-fi, if it's fantasy, if it's a biography, like I, I don't know, for me, reading has always been such a massively important part of my life. And 
the the joy and the emotions and the thought provoking you know topics and perspectives that I think it gives to people in general. I, I mean, even if you read like one book a year, I think there's so much to be gained from that. I feel like it makes you more empathetic mm-hmm. as a human being because it gives you such a vivid window into the experience of other human beings. And I think it's and really fascinating. Humanity, philosophy, like yeah. you experience, like I remember I read somewhere in one of my Norton anthologies from school I think it was Carl Phillips. Um, he's an African-American author. I think he lived around, I think he's still alive, but he produced um, like 10 chapters of his life. And one of them was he wanted to know about humans. So he majored in psychology and his professor was like, if you want to know about humans, you need to major in English literature, because that is the best way that you can understand all different types of people, cultures, not just how the brain works like scientifically, which is still very important. But if you want to know about humans and how we all interact with each other, if you struggle with social cues or interaction or whatever, read a book. It helps. Mm -hmm. Like from whatever time period, like there's always a reflection of history of what the author was going through at the time. Like there's so many layers to literature that are just... People just need to read more. I think they would genuinely find pleasure in reading people's stories, like fiction. Indeed. Fiction. Yeah, whatever floats your boat. Like, yeah, I, yeah. As I, long I, as it's not Mein Kampf, <laughs> we're good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you may want the historical context for that. Yeah, but, that's about yeah, it. <laughs> that's about don't, it. Don't. But don't, 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 don't read that and go. This is this is what's wrong with the world. I can get behind this guy. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't take that as your philosophy. No. Because <laughs> that was written by a very rotten man in prison and. I have not read it, but I'll read anything from philosophical texts, like Thus Spoke Zarathustra, all the way to like a short story about an interdimensional sales insurance agent or something. <laughs> I'm not even joking. So I was going to school for like teaching um, is that you want to like help be an advocate for your students on broadening their reading spectrum so like yes read fiction but also read a biography or read something like extremely just weird and yeah just broaden your horizons and get all the information possible so that you can make a decision for your own philosophy of whatever you believe in yep Mm -hmm. absolutely anyways i think we got off topic we were talking about we have an instagram (laughs) We have a uh, we have a Gmail. Our we have Gmail. a Twitter as well. Yeah. Oh, we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, our our Gmail is three grim company at gmail.com. If you don't know how to spell that, I'm sorry. Go <laughs> um, <laughs> to our Instagram to find out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's just grim. It's grim podco, right? Uh, grim co podcast. Gramco podcast yes yeah if you see little books then you've made it yes <laughs> so come come hit us up come tell us what you think correct us 
Yeah. yeah. We, if, if we said something wrong or if we said something that's not correct, obviously, like, correct us. But, you know, try to be kind about it. We're, we're people, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we'd love to make those corrections in the next episode. Be like, hey, Indeed. I listened last week, but we need to correct these few items just in the beginning so we can. Absolutely. We're human beings. We'll get it wrong. We'll be wrong. And if we can learn from that, that is a, a good thing. Absolutely. <laughs> that's metal. Yeah. 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 The most metal thing you can do is uh, learn from your mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> or admit to being wrong. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> we will probably do that a lot. Yeah. We will It'll happen. Wrong. Yes. These are just our thoughts and opinions. We are not geniuses. We are not doctors. We are not philosophers. These are our thoughts and opinions. So, yeah. You know. Only got a high school degree right here. So, high <laughs> <laughs> school degree. <laughs> Oh, Warren. <laughs> I'm not laughing at your high school degree. I'm just like, I, I have one of those too. It makes it sound so official. Like it's actually right? something important. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So anywho, I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you will listen again. And I guess we will see you all next week. Mm-hmm.